Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Do I Still Love It, the podcast that reminds you you've just lost the game. I'm your, I'm your co-host, Marshall James, <laughs> and I'm Laura Weeze. <laughs> and every week, uh, together, we're, uh, Laura and I, with a guest, invite them over to watch a movie or TV show they remember loving when they were kids to see whether or not they still love it that they're a grown-up. Now that they're a grown-up. Uh, and that grown-up big kid this week is comedian Katie Reed. I haven't lost the game in like five years, you <laughs> son of a bitch. I'm going to trash this place. <laughs> Think of how many people I just totally crushed in the game. Some people were having like decades long streaks. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, uh, when that was still like a thing that you just did every day was there was a TV show called The Game and I would just tell my friend Tom turn on channel 13 <laughs> I think it was UPN Joe and I just hear fuck from the other room we didn't have jobs okay <laughs> so yeah so that is the voice of our of our most recent game loser uh, Katie Reed so Katie why don't you tell the audience briefly about who you is Oh, hey, um, yeah, I'm a comic here in L.A. Um, I am the post supervisor for the YouTube channel Smosh, if that's interesting to you. Uh, I'm also, cool. I, I just do goofs and spoofs online with my pals. Yeah, uh, you, <laughs> you emphatically <laughs> suggested we watch Drop Dead Fred, which I feel like is this movie that I've mentioned to several people uh, mm -hmm. coming up. And it's the movie that universally elicits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Because, like, a lot of the films that you guys have done have been, like, really great classics, but it's been ones that, like, are still really prescient in, in the minds of people because they win Academy Awards, like uh -huh. the Disney films. Yeah. But Drop Dead Fred is not that. I was like, I'm going to come in hard with the nostalgia. <laughs> Why don't you start us off by, in, like, 30 seconds or less, what do you remember this movie being about? Oh, oh I remember it pretty well. I probably watched it once a week for like years oh wow. so essentially and i don't remember the the character's names because it has been 15 or so years maybe longer uh a small girl is uh in a family that's uh kind of breaks up the the parents divorce mostly because the mother is abusive and she internalizes the divorce as being her fault whoa on top, no, this is like a very dark film. Whoa. On top of the mother essentially saying, "This is your fault that this happened. That your father doesn't love me." Uh, to deal with this abuse, she kind of imagines this. She uh, she brings this imaginary friend to life, and a lot of the problems that you know, like ordinary children, like get into, like they get into trouble. The mother completely over uh, reacts to everything, and essentially like shuts down this child's ability to use her imagination, like kills her will. And it makes her, it makes this character played by Phoebe Cates, uh, a complete like pushover. And it like follows through her entire life. So when we join her in Whoa. adulthood, she oh. has the worst day of her life. She gets fired. She finds out that her uh, fiance or boyfriend is leaving her. And because of all of these things, she no longer has a place to live because she can't pay rent and she gets kicked out of her place. She has to go back and live with her mother 
while there. Oh, Wait, whoa, whoa, so, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> real long question. <laughs> so the childhood stuff that you just explained, yeah. which sounds like a, an entire TV show in and of itself, sure. was just exposition. This is like flashback stuff that you'll see. Oh, okay. We start oh. in the present and then we work our way back as she like moves in with her mother and it, and like we find oh, okay. out why she's so uncomfortable with her mother. Okay. I just remember this feeling like it was trying to capitalize on Beetlejuice. For sure. And that it's just about a a girl who grown up suddenly remembers she had an imaginary like a also correct. an imaginary yeah. friend who re shows up and will not and so she like thinks she's going crazy or something. Oh, because... and it's never as far as I remember, it's never quite clear if she just has a complete psychotic breakdown or if there's something <laughs> uh, supernatural about the imaginary friend. You guys, I thought this was a comedy. Because there are other imaginary friends for other people in the movie, and that's oh what God, makes I'm it so, so excited for this. That what, that's what makes it so weird is you don't ever actually know if this is all happening in her mind. If this is like a or, Jacob's Ladder scenario. If, yeah, or <laughs> if imaginary friends are an actual thing that helps children deal with the, with the stressful parts of their life. Whoa! So was this supposed to be a family film, a children's film, an adult film? It was. A, it was. A, it was a children to family film for sure. Okay. Uh, but it sounds it, dark but it's, as shit. It's nine, like late eighties, nineties family, which means there are things that are inappropriate for today's standards of uh, family stuff that would never fly. Like straight up, Drop Dead Fred uh, is a giant pervert, and he looks under women's skirts for a. It's like, totally a lark Beetlejuice. Meets like girl interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so awesome. tell me a little bit about, you said there was a time in your life where little Katie Reed watched this, like, weekly. Yeah. What was little, like, about what age were you at this time, and what was little Katie Reed like? Oh, I was, uh, so I was still, um, obviously I was still living as, like, uh, a girl. I'm transgender, in case, you know, uh, your listeners are, are curious. Um, I was a little girl. Um I was about the same age as you'll see this character, I think, when the film came out. Mm-hmm. I, Because, I, I, like, it was something totally de- identifiable the same for age me. as the little girl was. The little girl right. when you go back to the past. Yeah. And she has the f- friend, like, because this girl's, like, five or six. And I, I feel like I was probably about that age. Um, <laughs> and I did. I also had problems making friends. So I, I definitely, like, used my imagination a lot more than I would actually just, like, go out and play with, with other kids. Mm-hmm. So, like, that whole idea of, like, not feeling alone when you're alone was something just completely on key for me on pitch. Uh, yeah. Wow. So, and this actually brings up something that I, I wanted to talk about. So, uh, I had imaginary friends mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Every single one of them was an animal. I didn't have oh, I didn't have human imaginary friends. What was the name of the most important one, Marshall? So my most important uh, imaginary friend was a mouse named Tigo. Oh, at, amazing! To the point where, like, like my parents know. Uh, looking back on it now, like as an adult, like the filter now, was Tigo for to you one hundred percent real, or was part of you like? knew I'm play acting. Oh, I think I I definitely knew I was play acting. Like it was it was more like You weren't hallucinating a little no, mouse. Yeah. No, like I could imagine myself seeing it. Like I ne- but I was never like I don't think anybody was ever concerned about it. <laughs> you know what oh. I mean? But I think it's more like there's this idea that everybody lives in two realities at once. There's the reality we're all sharing. Yeah. You know, where this table and microphones and and Laura exists. Right. But then there's also the reality inside my head that none of you guys are party to. Like, you don't know what... And and you have your own world you're inside of, and Laura has her own world that she's inside of. But we all have this... We have this commonly agreed-upon reality. Now, I will... (laughs) I would say there's a third reality. Mm, okay. There's the one that's in your head, your individual perspective. There's the 
the the shared perspective that you're talking about of all of us agreeing upon and then there's there's uh reality there is the uh just like the actual the objective the, the objective empirical reality and oh. and those and the, the the two the shared one and the empirical one can be quite different and i and i would say that only because uh, our individual perspectives and even shared perspectives can be very faulty. I asked you about that, not necessarily to ask if you were mentally ill as a child, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but just because it's, um, imaginary friends are very, and also like other forms of imagination, like the memories of those are always so interesting to talk to people about because sometimes the way that people have crafted it in their brains, because every time you remember something, you're basically making a Xerox of the original uh, memory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, basically how it works uh, in the brain. Uh some people have made so many Xeroxes, it's hard to tell. And so some people, their imaginary friends were someone that they literally could describe like a photo. Right. And that's wild to oh, me. Wow. Yeah, I think I think for me, it never crossed over into misremembering it because all of my... Now, I had a menagerie of imaginary friends, but mm. they were all animals. They were all like oh, talking animals. But I think because as a child, like I understood like that animals don't talk, like that I never crossed over in that barrier. But like I would like sit on the bus with my head against the window, like and imagine all of my animal friends galloping <laughs> next to the bus over yeah. like Hill and Dale. And what, what about... <laughs> Laura is looking at Laura. me with this like... like Oh, precious. That's what, so cute. What, what about you, Laura? Did you have, like, not even necessarily imaginary friends, but anything like that? You know, honestly, it's everything lived on the outside for me. Like, all of my stuffed animals had very rich lives. Oh, great. And, you know, like, my Barbies had very rich lives and things like that. Um, but... No, I didn't. They never existed inside of my mind. Okay, so you need you need my, like you need like vessels and like yeah. things like that to like to imbue with characteristics, exactly. but you couldn't necessarily like completely fabricate. No, something. that's not. So wait, yeah. so Katie, did you have any imaginary friends? Oh, for real, I had like complete like I would I would like do complete like play productions in my head, and I just I would like fabricate that. I remember there was like one imaginary friend named Lucky who was like. Just the name of a soap opera character I heard on TV once. I was like, that's okay. a great-ass name for a person. I'm going to create that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I ever... I don't think I ever, like, had a dependency or, like, an emotional attachment to them. It was just, like, stuffed... It was just stuffed to, to play with. Cool. Now, uh, <laughs> this is this is part of what this show is about, is trying to, like, figure out, like, weren't we weird when we were kids? Aren't kids weird? <laughs> right. But also... Yeah, kids. I mean, yeah, I was childhood. Less, yeah, I was less of an imaginary friend person and more of a all the stuffed animals come to life the second you shut the door and <gasps> oh, to- a Toy Story. Yeah, reality. I was much more of a Toy Story reality. Gotcha. Yeah, I've mentioned also I mean, before. I, the- as I've said before, uh, we do this in my bedroom. Hoppy, my bunny I've had since I was four, is staring at me right now from right Great. there. Great. Yeah. And uh, I am still convinced that Hoppy is real. Well, that seems like a good time as any. Well, won't you invite your imaginary friends over, grab a bowl of popcorn, and join us in watching 1991's Drop Dead Fred. Honey, why don't you call him Drop Dead Fred? Because that's his name, Daddy. Like many small children, Lizzie had an imaginary playmate. Drop Dead Fred is going to teach me how to cook today. Someone she could talk to. Sugar? Yeah. <gasps> Someone she could share with. Oh, Grandma Bun! Someone who would never let her down. No more Drop Dead Fred! Period! Now Lizzie is all grown up. To us. And when her perfect life <laughs> fell apart. Charles, I lost my money, my car, my husband. She didn't get mad. 
She got Fred. Where's the face? What, who dropped dead? Drop dead Fred is this imaginary friend that I had as a child, and he's back. Everybody has strange friends, even you must. But all mine are alive. Well, that's not saying much. <laughs> it's no wonder Charles left you. Haven't got a husband, got a stupid haircut. You see, you just don't know how to make a marriage work. Well, let's get Charles back then. I'll help you. Let's just behave ourselves. Get up. No, bandit. He's back. Yeah, well, what's wrong with that? Nothing, except you're ruining my life. To show her, no matter how bad things look now, <laughs> they can always get infinitely worse. All right, and that was Drop Dead Fred. Um, and, uh, wow. <laughs> what, is, what was that movie? <laughs> <laughs> what in the fuck did we just watch? Oh, man, just like, first of all... Uh, this was like a universal film uh, made by New Line, distributed by Working Title, and the, the, those were the credentials of like Love Actually, <laughs> Notting Hill, like Working Title, like does like all of these like real legit like ro- like romantic comedies and stuff, and then Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> I mean, that was like a hefty bit of romance in this movie. I couldn't buy it. Yeah, I mean, like the her unending and unbelievable love for Charles, her estranged husband oh fuck charles he is not attractive or interesting in a way to earn him a, a, at all the attention he of is a like Phoebe a poor Cates. man's harrison ford he's like a poor man's like butt stain like i thought he like and he's he's the like phoebe cates is attractive granted they try and like uh, uh, you know, Dowdy. mouse downy yeah. her up, but then like the girl he's cheating on her with is like a stone cold fox. How did and he get either of them? He is such a wiener. <laughs> a this wiener, exactly. He I, looks like a screw. I also want to point out he's a car salesman, guys. But he sells jaguars. He sells jaguars, which are universally like renowned for They're being fancy shitty man crap cars. Shitty cars, yeah. Jaguar is the Donald Trump of luxury cars. Yeah, no, but he's like a Donald Trump kind of guy. Exactly. Like, very flashy, but no substance. 100%. Yeah. Like like the Jaguars he yeah. sells. And like his wine parties. Ugh. <laughs> okay, so let's, so let's get right into it. So... Briefly, like like you were saying, so Phoebe Cates is this adult woman who mm-hmm. is very infantilized by her mother and by her estranged husband, and even her Charles. good friend Carrie Fisher. Yeah, so Carrie Fisher, <laughs> American treasure, dearly departed. Carrie Fisher is in this movie, killing it. Like She's she is the most watchable. Up the scenery. Yeah. And the most watchable part of the of a of the movie that at times was very difficult to watch. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if she punched up some of the dialogue. She tended to do that on her pictures, and like she has like so many great lines, so many quippy things. I mean, if you go and watch her parts, if you watch another part of this movie, she just kills it. Yeah, I was I was really surprised when Carrie Fisher passed to learn like what a renowned script doctor she was mm-hmm. in Hollywood, and for people that were like Hollywood insiders, that's who the Carrie Fisher they know was. Right. Like to to us, you know, like she was a character actor, but to like Hollywood people, she was oh she's a great script doctor. Yeah. She was just a very funny, clever person. Yeah. Um, who happens to be in this really weird film for and. <laughs> Basically, doing like not nothing really all that important to the yeah. plot. Yeah, in doubt with the character that's really unnecessary. So yeah, all of these people are basically pushing Lizzie, that's the Phoebe char- uh, Kate's character, around, and she just is like 
a total kind of, door now. She's kind of just like sinking in on herself. She's like completely giving up. Right. She like ends up living back with her mother. Yeah. And so like really force forcibly living yes. back with her mother. Her mom forces her to live with her and uh when she goes into her childhood bedroom, it still looks like a child's this bedroom. This is yeah, you can definitely see the echoes of them trying to like recapture the spark of Beetlejuice's. Everything's very camp, very ter- uh, Tim Burton-esque with a lot of its art design. Like the mother, if you look at her, all of her features are very very exaggerated. Like I I said before, she looks and dresses like a drag queen. Yes, yeah. She's wearing, like, the flounciest blouses at all times. She's doing housework in high heels. The fullest shoulders you'll ever see on a woman. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's nuts. But this, I, and one thing I think I noticed, because this is definitely a movie, like, trying to, like, like uh, capitalize on Beetlejuice, and yet... I think one thing that's important to Beetlejuice that works in Beetlejuice and doesn't work here is the fact that they go out into the real world here. And so that aesthetic is completely lost when she's yeah. like walking down the street with Fred, like it's just a regular looking street. Right. And so Fred looks just very out of place. Whereas in Beetlejuice, the whole world looks fucking weird. And it's self-contained inside the house and the nether world. They it, never, it never leave that cold. Yeah. It doesn't really like, like, bleed out too much yeah. and the fact that they that they enter the greater world in this film i think that's what makes it so unsettling to me mm-hmm. yeah like, we'll, yeah this movie got under my skin in in multiple settings where it felt like a like a poorly delivered tragic film to me yeah you just watch this woman unravel in such a kind of shock and awe sort of way. Mm -hmm. And she's owning it. She's owning the fact that her imaginary friend is sitting right next to her in the middle of a fancy restaurant, throwing plates of food and forcing her to like do weird shit. Yeah, it's like a a manifestation of her psychosis has been made into a man who can then take all the culpability of, of her actions. But... So if you look at it like through an adult lens, that's just really terrifying to think that a woman could just break down that way and so publicly. Like everyone in her life knows what's happening to her. It's like a total psychotic break. And there are moments in this movie where I am afraid someone is about to get killed. Yeah. Like I'm afraid that this is when like she's about to grab a knife and just slit someone's throat well, and this is going to be on the 9 o'clock news. She said that her imaginary friend, a drop-dead Fred, is the reason she murdered her ex-lover. Little girl her says that mm-hmm. with Fred. Like, oh, we'll cut my mom's head off and eat, and her, body. eat her body. We'll eat her body. Well, okay, now, I'll stop there. Children say, like, terrifying, horrifying things. They treat each other badly. Like, a lot of the times that you, we were, like, wincing at the way Fred and uh, Lizzie were talking to each other. Like, I remember just telling, like, my my cousins, my brother, like, I'm going to beat your brains in until I can see them. Like, that sort of, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like, that sort of thing. I'm going like, to poop in your mouth. Or just telling them, like, no one likes you. Everyone wishes you were dead. Yeah. Yeah, like, the, it's like that sort of banter. Of raw children. But having it come out of an adult's mouth is just so fucking weird right yeah especially when you know that to anyone else in this reality if they walked in on her she would be talking to herself yes and like a child talks to other children and they yeah oh and and they show this over and over in the film which just like reinforces that idea of this is a woman 
on the edge. <laughs> and but and the thing is, she isn't suffering alone. There are so many scenes, like you said, where she is in public. Yeah. And uh, so at one point, she's uh, she's being pursued uh, by, or not physically pursued, but like romantically pursued by a guy whose name I forget, but he Mickey. had one earring. Of course, Mickey. you forgot his name. Mickey with the one earring. <laughs> He's super forgettable. But he himself is probably also a psychopath. Oh, yeah. I think oh, he ro- was into her psychosis. Honestly, like, if you think about it, this was his manic pixie dream girl moment. He just got out of a relationship. He's, uh, like, we find out he's divorced and has a child himself. This is a woman who's just, like, coming back into his life. She's whimsical. She doesn't seem to give a shit about societal norms. And he embraces it in the most unhealthy way. In the way that I think all of those manic pixie dream girl guys do. Like, the 500 Days of Summer guy... Just as fucked up as Mickey. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would love to see this story told from Mickey's point of view. Yeah. Oh my god, yes. Can this, somebody like can somebody cut together this movie to be a trailer for Garden State? Because all of the times you see him, he's making these grand romantic gestures. He's scaling the tree to come bring her a dress to go on a date with another man. man uh, oh man, well, he is such know, a cuckold. In, <laughs> in that regard. This movie is actually really interesting because you very rarely see the real side of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah. Yes. The, the side that makes you go, oh, no, dude, you need to just be on your own for a while. You should not be getting into this relationship right now. You have a daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and then, yeah, like, given what a psychopath Mickey turns out to be, like, he's the one who won custody of his daughter away from... Yeah, that made me think, if this is a man who, by the way, at one point trashes a restaurant... How fucked up is the mom that he got sole custody? Because he mentions, like, oh, I got to keep my daughter. Who is this mom? I think that was the movie trying to endear us to him right away. Right. Or or trying to point out that he's got a thing for crazy women. Yeah. Like, fully, fully the, the type of women that should be committed. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, so he's, like, really, really fucked up. And so, and, and then we're introduced to her imaginary friend, Drop Dead Fred, who's played by Rick Mayel, who is, who's now passed away, but is apparent, was apparently a really well-known British physical comedian, was in a ton of stuff, that like Black sense. Adder. And, this uh, felt like, almost like a vehicle for him. Yeah. Right. Like, they were it trying like to get him. like an earnest, or a... Yeah, it felt very much like they were trying to introduce him to American audiences. Yes. And I will say, despite the flaws of the writing and everything like that, he fucking he delivers on that character because I can't I cannot imagine trying to sustain that sort of thing. Fully committed. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so let's get so Drop Dead Fred is her imaginary friend who since childhood is an has been an abusive like he like physically and like verbally abuses her from the beginning of the movie yeah. until the weird climactic dream <laughs> sequence where suddenly it becomes a sentimental saccharine kiss on the lips and they kiss and it's a head tilt kiss it's not like like, it's like a weird david lynch moment it's like david lynch meets tim burton yes with no with no budget and a weird really really (laughs) very tasteless script yeah and yeah so why does she imagine drop dead fred why is her imaginary friend such a shitty person like, Honestly, her... he has zero inhibitions, and she is so tightly wound up because of the way her mom treats her. So I fully believe 
Fred is just a representation of not giving a fuck about what anyone thinks. Right. You were saying that he's like her id manifest. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think if you watch the film, like, not to get like overly gross about it, he, se- like, he seems like an id. Uh, Carrie Fisher is definitely like her ego, who's like realistically supportive. And then the super ego is the mom just being like literally cutting her hair, putting new clothes on her, assigning a nurse who threatens to physically harm her if she doesn't stay in line. Yeah. It's like very ham-fisted metaphors. There's like a a really awkward scene towards the end where she entrusts Phoebe Cates' care to Charles. Like oh, that in, was in this, the like, grossest oh, thing. It was so gross. It was like, my adult daughter can't take care of herself. You, estranged husband, you can take care of and her And he even me. says, don't worry, I'm a grown-up. Yeah, she, yeah. she goes, she acts like such a child. Don't worry, I'm a grown-up. I think we need to quickly uh, address how she ended up back around Charles because the whole movie mm-hmm. starts where he's just like, I want to be with Annabella. He says her full name like a bajillion times and I got so tired. It's a four syllable name. They surely have a shortened version of her name. (laughs) So basically we meet her. She's very dowdy and throughout the course it... Uh, Lizzie is, yeah. Yeah, Lizzie. Not Annabella. Annabella was a hot lady. We start the movie seeing Lizzie in what looks like a sack potato. Yeah. A potato sack dress. Like Like, a raggedy Ann dress. It's like... just no confidence at all in, like, being a, like, a woman with a figure. Yeah. Yeah. She she literally, you have no idea, like, what, what does she work out? Or is she, like, what is, like what's going on under that? I, I kind of took it as a woman who never really grew left up at all. girlhood. Yeah. yeah. She is wearing, like, an outfit designed for a six-year-old yeah. girl. Yeah. And um, as the film goes on uh, through, through outside forces, whether they be the mom or drop-dead Fred... She just, her hair just keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter until it's like a really cute bob cut and her clothing just gets tighter and tighter and tighter yeah. until she shows up at his wine tasting party. Oh, God. And she's a, she's a fox. She looks so good. And he good. instantly right. is like, oh. I gotta get back with you. Gotta get back with that sweet, hot girl Even that Annabella I was married to for three turns years. around and is like, has the fuck eyes on on, yeah. on Lizzie. So, so yeah, so Annabella is is super foxy, very attractive, and through awkwardness because of Fred, uh, Phoebe Cates is talking to her, and they are like immediately flirting, and I'm like, Annabella is into chicks, and specifically into this chick. Honestly, uh, my actually my impression of Annabella was she was just so two dimensionally written uh, that. The actor playing her probably just went, Annabelle likes to fuck. And she sees everything as as sexual. So I feel like it maybe wasn't even necessarily Lizzie herself. It's just that that actress had so little to go on. Right. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, fine, I'm a nymphomaniac. All right, that's my, that's my, that's the reason I'm with such a skeezball. Like, that actor probably went to Lee Strasberg (laughs) in this film. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so throughout this whole movie, like a recurring thing is that Drop Dead Fred just keeps utterly destroying things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it made me want to ask, like when you guys were kids, did were were either of you kids who got into trouble like a lot? Oh, hell yeah. Like I was like, I I probably destroyed stuff as much as that. I, I, oh, really? I well, And like cut my own hair, like the whole works. Oh, really? Okay. And did, was, was it always, did you like own up to it? Like... 
this is what Katie does. Like, like no, 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 no. I would lie my little head off just like she was, uh-huh. or like, or like you, you, sometimes you even when you're a kid, you can somehow like buy your own lies. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember, I definitely remember like cutting my own hair and then blaming my infant brother on it. <laughs> nice. Like that makes no sense. It's like not even a good lie. Kids yeah. are just really good at like destroying stuff. Not really f- understanding why they did it and then not knowing how to cover up for it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So Laura was given a little bit of a you head shake. Were head. you You were a good you... kid? Oh, well, my brother was the destructive one. That's mm. true, yeah. So the only destructive patterns I had were against my brother's things. Yeah. Um, I would say the most... Because he was de- making it harder on you. Yeah. The most destructive thing I ever did was I got really mad at him one day. I went in his room. I took every single one of his G.I. Joes. I sat out on the street and every time a car came... I ripped off parts of the G.I. Joe's bodies and threw them in the street and watched them that hit my cars. That is brutal. And you see, that's <laughs> what Fred's doing. So he's, like, not even, like, it's because he's in an adult body that we're like, what is that? Totally but right. It, but it's all just, like, for children, it makes complete sense. There's a complete justice to it, to yeah. you ripping off. Yeah. It made no sense. Why did you have to wait for a car to come by? Uh, Who knows? It was just the system oh, that right. you created. So, it was so much better when I watched something just ruin Yeah, Yeah, kid logic is so amazing. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is, like, not only is he adult, but he has the physical strength of a man. Yeah. And so things that a little girl would never be able to physically do... If, if in the same mindset where they're like, oh, I wish you could break that window and pull seven pounds of mud in and just throw it around the room. Oh, I don't know. I broke windows. I like one time, <laughs> everything that she, if you go back, everything that they do together what, when she's an actual child is completely possible for a child. The only wow. thing that maybe huh. was harder was the fact that she got all of that, like in the mud pie scene, like she did it so quickly. Yeah. So, but huh. this, this brings up the, the, the thing that I kept thinking this whole movie um, aside from who is this movie for, mm-hmm. because it's got way too many, I feel, adult themes yeah. for kids to understand at all what the fuck is oh, yeah, going no, like, on. It was the more subtle ones that made me go weird because like overt sexuality is something that kids do all the day, all the time. Like if, if you were a child that had Barbies, like you made them have sex. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it was like that sort of like, ooga sort of sexuality. Totally can which understand have, where which ha- there is a scene where literal, he literally does the oh guys, um, but it was the like weird like when Phoebe Cates and the and the Charles guy are about to like have sex and like unzips his pants and and, he, and Fred goes is he gonna pull it out and I was like oh that's weird in that's a, weird in for a, a kids movie that's yeah. weird to be in a family movie <laughs> right because that's like explicit references to Phoebe Cates is going to touch his dick yeah like yeah which like you would never have there never acknowledgement that <laughs> genital touching ever happens in in kids <laughs> or family oriented movies it's always it's always like Oh, we're gonna go spend some time alone, slugger. You right. know that's as high as it get, high stakes as it get. Like we know they're talking yeah. about sex, but never like literally the moment before genitals start happening. Yeah, <laughs> I mean to take that one step further, not knowing who the audience is supposed to be for this, I don't even know what the what the thematic style was supposed to be for this. I would love, I would love to sit down with either the person that came up with this concept mm-hmm. or the original scriptwriter and be like, how does this match the vision you had in your mind? Like, well, how did you even want us to feel about Lizzie? Yeah, exactly. Because I don't, because she was very endearing. Phoebe Cates did really great work in that. 
But I still don't know how I felt about the character. The movie right. tried to be a comedy and a tragedy and a horror film and like and a, a family a, film. Lots and a, of euphemisms. Yeah. Uh, and and that was the one thing I had. I kept writing down is I don't like Lizzie or Fred. And right. the, and my opinions on them didn't change the entire <laughs> movie. Like. Lizzie seemed really kind of pathetic in the fact that we are never once given a reason to understand why she cares about Charles. Like, there's Mm -hmm. nothing charming about him from the jump. Like, from the jump, he's slime. But to play devil's advocate to that, how often do you meet, like, one of your, like, closest friends, new boyfriend or girlfriend and go, why? Why are you with him? He is terrible. What he... No job? What's going on? Uh, Girl, come on. Like, I feel... I feel in that way, if you look at the Charles character and the mom character, they are very similar. That is true. They're both they like are, super controlling. They're both and... controlling. They have the same kind of like exaggerated features and like over like uh overcompensation in terms of trying to feel like seem rich. Yeah. And wealthy and like they're bougie middle class. I feel and like pretending to be rich. She got into relationships with people who would abuse her the same way her mom abused her. And, like, she was very much like her father who just kind of sat and took it until he couldn't take it anymore. Right. And I think that's that's something about this film that makes me really wonder if the execution was yeah. too slapsticky for the story because there's so much deeper meaning to what the characters mean. Like, I feel like the person that wrote this understands abuse. They understand yeah. mental illness. Like, they're trying to tell what seems like it could be a very compelling personal story. And then studio executives yeah. went, Beetlejuice made a fuck ton of money. Yeah. We're yeah. going to make a Beetlejuice. And, and the writer was probably like, oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, there are definitely moments where I don't understand why they deflate what the scene is about to make, like, booger jokes. Because, <laughs> yeah, I feel like a part, like... This was very much in tone with like, or uh, with like a lot of films that were coming out like that at the time. Like, can think about it. Jim Carrey was doing uh, yeah. the same shit. Uh, Robin yeah. Williams doing the same shit. Michael Keaton and Beetlejuice same shit. But it, this is just a very different story than we usually see. We don't see stories about adult women having like emotional existential crises, yeah. and we don't see we don't see like. We don't see Jim Carrey playing the the, the, the um, a metaphor for a woman's psyche. Right. So even that, it, it's just a very jarring framing of this, of putting Jim Carrey slapstick into like a Lifetime movie. Right. And I think the one thing that I kept, I couldn't understand was like Drop Dead Fred a recurring part of his character is that he's a misogynist. Like, he hates women. Probably he, he her. Said, it's probably her internalized misogyny. Right? Because yeah. he says all the time, like, ugh, girls, ugh, I hate when women yeah. say things and do stuff. It's like a, a satire of the way that boys and girls, like, have that dynamic, but it's probably also a lot of her repressed sexuality. Like, he was always horny also. Did you notice? Like, yeah. He was, like, he couldn't wait to watch Charles and Lizzie fuck. He wanted to play spin the bottle, but he was also like, ew, but also it's disgusting. And that has a lot of echoes of Americans' relationship to sexuality in the first place. <laughs> Is it something we're, we're disgusted by? And then I something can't look away from. Yeah, and especially women. Yeah. It, <laughs> in a way, yeah, sex when you're like a kid is like a train wreck. Like yeah. you want to see it, but it sounds disgusting and horrible and scary, but yeah. you want to really see it. No, he, like, 
the un like him going under women's skirts is like, ugh. But at the time, as a child, which is very frightening to me, I was just kind of like, Haha, boys do that, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, and I remember like when these sorts of like instances of like raw, naughty sexuality would happen in kids' movies when I was a kid. I, you know, I can't. I, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't go, ooh, so lucky you get to see a skirt. Yeah. Like, like, like the, the little um, perverted seven-year-old me goes, oh, oh man, I wish yeah. I could do that. We've kind of like moved a little bit forward as a society that these sort of like tropes and comedies get under our skin more. Yeah. But I think at the time this would not, this would have just been like, ha-ha. Like it would just, but it just, it was just normal for the, for these films. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the sort of thing is like now when you see that sort of humor, like, still come up in some of the more recent, like, Adam Sandler movies. Like, now it's like, ugh. It's, I mean, it's not even like, ugh. It, it, it's actually maddening. Because yeah. I can see how we can look back in time and kind of judge the past, but except that it was a different time and place. Mm-hmm. But when you see someone rolling in with that kind of, with that kind of humor nowadays, it's like, you're A, lazy. Yeah, lazy is the word. Yeah. And B, you're completely tone deaf to the reality that you're currently living in. Yeah. And it's- and the audiences that you, that you can or can't attract with this type of lazy humor. I was actually thinking about Adam Sandler uh, and like, like these sort of films like also echo it like you said i think a lot of the audiences i'm trying to like explain them is like like why does why do they still make so many movies like all of his films go over 100 million right yeah uh, honestly i think we kind of like for better or for worse we're kind of more snobby about these things we want to we we're like dis- dissecting drop dead fred right now oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. whereas like people who watch adam sandler films who might wa- have watched this originally they're not going in to dissect anything. They don't no. want to have a deeper meaning. They just want to sit down and just forget about everything and maybe see some titties. This sort of farce, this sort of slapstick has been a way for people to just kind of like tune out and enjoy stuff like for like since theater began. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the the classic uh, current modern conclusion of that, which is reality television. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> like you don't uh, want to think about it too much. Yeah. It's not that deep. Exactly. <laughs> I'd like to uh, turn the wheel a little bit and talk about a very specific scene. Bring it. When they are in the psychiatrist's office. Oh, man, that's the part that makes me go, what is this movie? Exactly. What's happening? Because... Set up the scene. So she is in the room uh, with a psychiatrist, and she comes out, and she sits down, and her mom is in the room, Mm. and she's in a waiting room surrounded by a bunch of kids that are waiting to see this single psychiatrist, yet there's like five kids waiting in line. That's weird. Like, how, long, how long do these kids have yeah, to wait for? Exactly. Like, <laughs> the one kid is going to have to wait like three hours before right, yeah. he sees the child psychiatrist. And Fred comes in the room, and then it shifts, and you get Fred's point of view on the room. Mm-hmm. And you don't just see Fred. You see the imaginary friend of every single one of these children. Yeah, because the, uh, the, the the doctor is a specialist in imaginary friends. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So and, each like, of these who is some exposition from a mom that's really clumsy, like, oh, he is the one who specializes in imaginary friends. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go back to reading my newspaper now. <laughs> <laughs> and so in Drop Dead Fred's point of view, you can see all of the imaginary friends, mm-hmm. and they know each other. They interact and they with play, each other, like they're buddies. And each of these children 
see their imaginary friend interacting with Fred, but they don't see Fred. Yeah, they just see their imaginary friend moving, but anyone in the room that doesn't have an imaginary friend sees nothing. We <laughs> saw really three ma- different styles of point of view at one time. It's very and that's meta. when you ask yourself, wait, is this not a manifestation of her psyche? Yeah. Is this real? Right, exactly. And and it's funny that before the movie, we were talking about like realities and what realities we exist in. And mm-hmm. this movie posits that there is a... Yet another reality beyond yeah. the three we were talking about. There's a fourth reality, which is some weird runaway reality where all of our minds are meeting in secret without us. <laughs> uh, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. And so that's it, it com- in a way, I think that's one of the weaker points of the film is we don't get a very clear. And I think that might be why it's so unsatisfying and so unsettling yeah. is we don't get a clear answer as to what Fred's purpose is, because we also get confirmation that he exists outside of Mm -hmm. Lizzie at the very end. When Mickey's daughter, we finally meet Mickey's daughter, she has taken Drop Dead Fred as her imaginary friend and is going through all the same stuff. Uh, By the way, Drop Dead Fred likes the divorced kids. (laughs) (laughs) Always the kids from broken uh, marriages. Yeah, and I found that when she said it was Drop Dead Fred, my jaw hit the floor because I expected her to say that it was her own unique one. That she was going to make up a name and then you'd see her And she was imbuing this into life, but no, it wasn't. I've never thought about this before. I'm going to pause it now. Is Fred a demon? Right. Yeah, no. <laughs> possessing he, them? Like, like, yeah. And then making them do things they don't necessarily think are good ideas until he puts the idea in their heads. And possession also uh, has historically been the explanation for mental illness. Right. And and it very much makes me think of, like, The Shining. Because wasn't the little kid in The Shining, he had an imaginary friend that he talked to in his finger that's, mm-hmm. like, red rum and always, like, fucked up things would yeah. happen when his imaginary friend shows up? So. Like, that's, again, this demonic possession by imaginary friends. I think friends. this was an exorcism film repackaged as family-friendly fare. Amazing. <laughs> and so I want to touch on the moment when in in the world that we just created, he takes her to the other world in order yeah. to do what, what only felt to me like a very effective meditation. <laughs> where, the climactic yeah. scene of the yeah. of the film yeah. where 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 apparently Phoebe Cates goes into Fred's imagination. Or something. He kind or- of fall. She falls into his body, and then they both kind of disassociate and like have an out of body experience. They like they fly through the air, go to the dollhouse that is a replica of her real house. Go inside. Nothing makes sense. No, the dimensions are all wrong. The you know the physics are all wrong. It's the most Beetlejuice Tim Burton scene in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was such that was such a ripoff. Of the house that exists in the real world in Beetlejuice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in that, and so in that scene, she manages to both kill Charles and her mother yeah. with Drop Dead Fred's help. And again, this is a very surreal, off-putting scene where she's just now murdered uh, both her husband and her mom. And then suddenly, like sentimental music starts playing. Mm-hmm. She looks longingly at Fred, and no, you- Fred suddenly is like. Well, you're going to have to go back to the real world without me now, champ. 
You're missing a very important piece. Oh, okay. She finds her child, oh, herself as a child. Taped to the bed. Yeah. With the, In the same Trapped. sort of masking and tape so, yeah, that keeps... It, uh... And so I actually found this scene to be really beautiful. Yeah. Um, I didn't take it as she killed them or murdered them. No, she confronted them. Yeah, I took it as she confronted them and she inoculated their power over her. Yeah, because like they they were not themselves literally. They were just the power that other people have had over her. And... Yeah. and the the idea that she couldn't take care of herself but when she like goes upstairs untapes herself embraces herself she's saying i can take care of myself i don't need these other people and honestly i don't need the antics i'm not going to act out anymore and that's why fred is suddenly just chill as fuck because he knows that like his work's done yeah and in that moment i kind of felt like fred baby lizzie and adult lizzie actually are all Lizzie, yes. in which she... A holy trinity. Yeah, yeah, she basically saves her childhood self, thus saving her innocence, yeah. and asserting her, um, not par- uh, parental need, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of adult, responsible... Her self-actualization. Self-actualization. Yeah. And, you know, standing in the corner is this, is the id of her... That is basically saying, okay, I'm not going to lead anymore because you are strong enough now and you are you are full enough now in the fact that you have saved your childhood and inoculated all of, yeah, all of the, your fears that you can go off by yourself. Because the id also serves purpose. Like, without the id, we wouldn't have passion. We wouldn't have creativity. Right. So the fact that she's like, no, I can imbue, like, this just is imbued within myself. I loved how both of you went ew when they kissed on the mouth so though. unexpected it, i just was not expecting well, it. yeah just to kind of reinforce the idea that like fred is yet a long line of people who just control phoebe cates like once they have this sentimental like you're gonna have to go on without me now sport but you've yeah. learned all the lessons you need to learn now kiss me and go home yeah and so she goes in and they do a head tilt romantic sunset kiss not a peck on the lips mm-hmm. like like an adult gives a child, which I would have been more appropriate because in his mind she's still like a little kid or whatever. Yeah, but, but they, not no, anymore. No, they have like a romance <laughs> kiss and embrace, and then he disappears. And I'm like, ew, gross. It was definitely strange. Why but would I will you say, romantically kiss your imaginary friend. They, I don't know if it was just because they were both so extra at each other. There were definitely times where it was like. They have more romantic chemistry than she and the Mickey character do. Yeah, yeah. I like the that. part where they're like doing like are not are not are not are not. I they got they're... real close, and I was like, their mouths are going to touch each other's mouths. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, gonna just fucking kiss. Definitely mouth why are they? Why are they? Why are they giving each other like these eyes? Like, I don't know if they're gonna fist fight or they're gonna fuck each other. <laughs> and one of the things that multiple characters throughout this thing say is the line, I was joking. Mm-hmm. I was just joking. <laughs> Which I want to get into this a little bit uh, as more of a like philosophical thing because I hate that expression. Because <laughs> I was just joking is the expression of the bully yep. who is trying to blame you for feeling... Like, it's it's for, for feeling yeah. bad about being fucked with. It's also um, a scapegoat that shitty comedians use when they have a joke that doesn't land and or is, like, punching the wrong direction. They always fall back on the, you just don't know how to take a joke. You're too uptight. Right. And it's like, uh, no, you're just a shitty person and you're tedious and boring. 
<laughs> and this is not interesting for me to be seeing or hearing right now. Right. Yeah, I feel like if you ever find yourself saying, I was just joking, you should know that I was just joking is universal human code for I'm an asshole or what I just said was shitty. And I don't want to take responsibility. And I don't want to take responsibility <laughs> for how shitty I just was yeah. and made everyone feel. Yep. You're the guy at the open mic who is mad at the audience for not laughing. Right. <laughs> that Exactly. When you say I am, I was just joking, you are that guy. Yeah. And the thing is... Drop Dead Fred, her husband Charles, and and Mickey, I think, all say it. Like, mm-hmm. every man in this movie says, I was just joking. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, overall, I think the biggest failing of this film is it not knowing what it wants to be. Right. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It, it was just really sloppily done. I think it probably had a lot of studio intervention. It's It reeks yeah. of it. As someone who works in post-production especially... It's, yes. it's a weird fucking There were film. a lot of reshoots, I'm betting, yeah. in this. Like, yeah. this movie's too much of a psychological allegory. Let's get some slapstick in there, you know. So, uh, with that in mind, mm-hmm. if you could remake this film, right? which, wh- where would you take it? Honestly, I would just, like, make it pick a side a little more. If it wants to have, like, that sort of, like, like searching of, like, the psychosis through, like, a comedic bend... You just have to lean in harder on the surreal imagery. You have to get a better grasp on why you're making a joke when, especially the visual things. Everything should have a point and should have a reason. It didn't always have it. I would just make more commitment across the board in terms of writing, design, even the acting. Absolutely. Yeah, so my other thing is I would not have Fred interacting with other people as much. I would also make them pick, is he real or is he not? Right. I think that would clear up so much of it. And I'd probably lean more in the direction of only she ever actually interacting with him. I think that would work better. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Part I don't know if it's just because I grew up with it. I still like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so shitty, but I just love it so much because it just is bursting with so much life. <laughs> right. I feel like the execution of this movie left me not being able to make a clear decision about whether or not <laughs> I enjoyed it because I'm I'm enjoying pulling it apart. Yeah. And for me, finding that there are layers to something that I can try to draw to and I'm still thinking about it the next day that is the sign of a good story to me. Yeah, or at least an interesting yeah, one. Yeah, and this, yes, I think that's the best way to put it. I did not not enjoy this. Yeah. Um, double negatives, guys. <laughs> so you did enjoy I it. I did enjoy this in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. I'm going to say I liked it, question mark. Yeah, or like you liked it, but you feel kind of weird for it. Yeah. <laughs> for being like, like, why is this like sticking in my craw? Yeah, like I need to go write a diary entry about my feelings. Yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> There's definitely enough like ideas going on here that, like you said, if it picked a side, and I would have preferred it to pick a more dramatic, lean more on the, the allegories, the metaphors, and the euphemism, yeah. because I thought the slapstick was really weak and unfunny. Mm-hmm. And I, like, there was very little in this movie that made me laugh and a lot of it that made me cringe. But when we got to the parts that were all psychological metaphors, I was like, okay, now this is kind yeah. of interesting. And so if it leaned more on that and and made it more about a girl, uh, a woman who's going through a psychological crisis that we, the audience, get to see made manifest by the return of her imaginary friend, yeah. 
but we are allowed to go this scene is fucked up like yeah. if, it, if it was more like american psycho right like an adult com uh, an adult psychological comedy that hinges on the fact that this is fucked up what is happening because right how now. how infrequently do we even address uh the mental health issues of women in film without making them uh monsters right right and phoebe cates is definitely not a monster no she's completely she's a very sympathetic character yeah the entire time and if they had just leaned a little harder into that and less into like not knowing if this should be for children or not. <laughs> which, speaking of which, do you think this was appropriate viewing for you as a wee little one? Absolutely not. But I watched a lot of <laughs> fucked up stuff as a kid. <laughs> like I watched <laughs> horror films and stuff like that. So this was nothing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Would I w- want a child to watch it now? I don't know. Maybe like a cut for TV version would be fine because they would take out all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I. But I'm like, oh god. Yeah, that, that part with her, but like, she's like, I'm going to take your dick out. I don't know if I want a five-year-old seeing that. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then again, it might just go straight over their head. They won't even know it's there. Who That's knows? true. It went over mine because I watched it just this time, and it, that was the first time it ever hit. Mm-hmm. That there so, was about to be, se- like, yeah. real graphic sex about to happen. Yeah, like, I, I didn't know. Uh, yeah, I think looking back on it now, I don't, I think as a kid, this probably just reinforced a lot of, like, ideas I had about about bad behavior i was not a very bad destructive kid and i think i remember now like watching this movie and thinking like this girl's bad yeah (laughs) i think i mean she burglarizes her own home right yeah yeah (laughs) like it's very like it gets her father arrested in the process it's very inoften that you'll find a that you'll find a kid who's like that destructive but i think in a way that kind of maybe helps kids who are not or who are kind of fuck ups and i was kind of a fuck up feel a little bit better about themselves and go, okay, I'm not the only one who sometimes acts out and doesn't even understand why I'm doing it. Yeah. Well, I guess that brings us to our final title question. Katie Reed, do you still love it? I do. But in the way that you love your relative who has like an alcohol problem or something, (laughs) you're like, you got, you are problematic. You are not healthy, but I love you anyway because you were there for me when I was a kid. (laughs) Is that (laughs) fucked up? I don't know. There's just something about this film that informed a lot of my comedic sensibilities, especially. Uh-huh. Um, and for that, like, I just have to always have, like, a special place in my heart. Do I think it's a good film? No. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Weiss? I liked it. I don't know. It had a lot to chew on, even if the flavors were weird. Mm-hmm. And as for myself, I don't love it. I I think before we started talking about it, I was going to say that I hated it. But... Yeah. Because there was, like, kernels of interesting metaphors here, and it has been fun to dissect it after the fact, Mm -hmm. like, okay, it was not hate-worthy, but I've got to say, I don't find destructive humor funny, I didn't find Fred endearing or likable at all, I I didn't really like any character in this movie except Carrie Fisher, and she is only in this movie, like, five minutes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's really just because I love Carrie Fisher. So I do still love Carrie Fisher, despite her being in this movie I don't love. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I really want to thank our guest this week, comedian Katie Reed. Katie, where can people find you on the internet should they wish to find you? Oh, uh, you can come be pals with me on Twitter at that Katie Reed or Facebook. Just look me up, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah. And as you, uh, Katie Reed often is involved in comedy shows around LA and sketch oh, uh, and variety stuff. Yeah, I can even plug, I'm part of another podcast called The Sorting Hat, 
uh, where we take uh, the houses of Hogwarts and we sort things that are not uh, people. We sort things and ideas. <laughs> oh my gosh, this sounds like <laughs> like Laura's idea for a podcast. That's hilarious. <laughs> So uh, check out The Sorting Hat up, uh, can they find it on the iTunes? Yeah, it's on iTunes. Great. Check out Katie Reed on The Sorting Hat. Uh, You can check us out on iTunes. Please rate and review us if you like the show. Do I Still Love It? You can find us all over the internet at Do I Still Love It? Uh, Well, this has been fun. I am your host, Marshall James. And I am Laura Weiss. Uh, Saying goodnight. Snot face. This has been a 